challenge. Back then, I was a single guy. I could see myself standing next to him, competing for some you know hot chick, and she'd look at our shoes. <laughs> she'd have been like, "Nah." <laughs> is, that, is that true, Brandy? You go straight for the shoes, uh, among other things. But you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My shoes were raggedy. <laughs> <laughs> they, you would notice them for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, you would notice. <laughs> like different foods, I like this to smoke and you know smoke meat not and barbecue and grill so let's get this straight i was a whole different person i would actually create scenarios scenarios in my head to bring about anger and i would just you know picture things like somebody kissing my girlfriend or things like that <laughs> that would just get you fired up and it would be that guy across the line for me and and then you do what you got to do. Then you come back to reality for a half a second and then you do it again. So, you know, I've always had that kind of imagination that would help me do that. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. By promoting safety and health through education, services, and products, this, this is Utah Safety Podcast. Speaking up for safety. We're hot. <laughs> well, uh, I am John Wojcikowski. I'm here at the uh, University of Utah campus, the Rice Eccles Stadium, the Ken Garf Scholarship Club. Uh, today is August the 12th, right, Brandy? The 12th? Still Correct. The 12th? It still is. 2022. We are here today for the Utah Safety Council annual meeting and awards presentation. Our keynote speaker today is going to be Sean Newell, who is also here live and in person to uh, give us his words of wisdom on leadership. We're super excited to have him. In fact, you know, we've really had a, I have really had a rehearsal introduction, Sean, because just looking at it, uh, you sit on several boards to include the Utah Nonprofit Association, Utah Manufacturers Association. We're just rolling right into this thing, by the way. Well, so, yeah, and can I say that the, your staff did a good job of, of the introduction and timed it. It takes two minutes to get through the full introduction. At least, at least two minutes. At least two minutes. And that's, we, we consolidated it. And I still feel like that you do more than what's even here. Like you're a board of trustee or have been a board of trustee for Salt Lake Community College. You're currently the, the Salt Lake branch president or vice president of the NAACP. Uh, you've been on the governor's commission for the Martin Luther King Jr. Human Rights Commission. You're a graduate of several universities, to include this one, the University of Utah, Salt Lake Community College. Uh, you have a Master of Management degree from the University of Phoenix, and uh, just an inclusion and in, uh, diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell. <sighs> and on top of all of that, you barbecue, but you you barbecue for real, not the way I do it, where I'm burning hamburgers and hot dogs on a propane grill but you're like smoking you're smoking the good stuff I'm smoking doing, the I'm good the work stuff in. yeah <laughs> now a couple of those rules have changed so we may yeah we'll, we'll correct that one <laughs> well how do you do it all how do you do it all how do you you're very engaged in no seriousness you're very engaged with all things utah you're embedded in a lot of the culture here uh you've done a lot of great things speaking of diversity and and um and helping people and uh, creating a culture in utah that we can all be proud of uh, to say that we live here but what is it about you that you know makes you want to give uh, so much of yourself to the people of utah the biggest driver for me is that people gave to me 
and um, having people that were mentors, sponsors, um, people that corrected me when I was wrong growing up throughout my high school career, my college career, and throughout these days still in life. Every day I have people that help me and guide me. So I want to give back some of that to those that may not have that same um, benefit or the exposure to people that are in places that can really impact or influence their lives. You know, the Utah Safety Council, uh, you are, are, you've you become acquainted with us a little bit. We had the pleasure of golfing with you, and you're an amazing golfer, I will say. Uh, right. <laughs> it was fun. It was that fun. was the important was thing, right? That was the most right? important thing. <laughs> but you, with all the organizations in Utah, uh, tell us about some of the other organizations that really affect not only safety, but a culture or at least uh, things that help the people of Utah be safer, uh, that maybe helps with the uh, just a lifestyle here. Um, what other associations that you've been involved with other than Utah Safety Council, you would say you're doing great work or work that matters for the people of Utah? I would start with um, our Utah System of Higher Education, the United Way, um, those are two that really impact lives and in ways we don't think about, it. and it includes safety. A lot of times we think about safety as, you know, the slip and fall, but we also have to think about our mental safety, our, our physical health that may be a result of intangibles that are surrounding us in our environment. Well, speaking of the Utah system of higher education, you know, I came across an article in Slug Magazine and Slug brand new Salt Lake Underground <laughs> Magazine. Are you aware of the Salt Lake Underground I Magazine? I actually was not. I, oh. It's putting me on the spot here. No. I, I stay underground sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now it's intriguing me, so I'm going to have to go see what this is. Well, I have a copy of it right here that will have Sean sign, but... Um, <laughs> In this article, Sean, you talk about uh, uh, the education to employment pipeline, and you, you have a quote in there, or you talk about the ideological fortresses in Utah that sometimes people subscribe to, these ideological fortresses that people subscribe to rather than change. Explain that to us. Um, one of the parts of that quote had to do with the way we look at education. We still have this mindset where when we talk about our post-secondary education, we think of four-year institutions and we exclude our technical institutions. And when we start to assign workforce to it, of course, the people that are going to, and uh, like myself, that went to a four-year institution are getting jobs out there and they're, they're part of the workforce, but we forget about those that really may be in between that, that, that space where they have greater skills with their hands. They have greater skills with some of the uh, medical fields where they can actually start to credential themselves through certifications. And we need to illuminate that and, and release some of those barriers that people have in these mindsets so that people understand that these pathways are available and the employers are looking for those pathways to actually communicate with them so that they can tell our institutions what they need what they're looking for with people coming into the workforce, how they need them to be educated, what what skill sets are critical to industry. And it's 
ebb and flow. It's constantly changing, but we have to get past that mindset of telling young people you have to get a four-year institution or a four-year degree because what that does is it tells others that they don't have another option when they graduate high school. They don't have something else to look at um, that will help them to have a very viable and lucrative life. So we have to start illuminating the entire system of education that we have available to us here in the state of Utah. How would you say Utah is doing in that respect? You know, you talk about the equity lens framework. Do you feel like uh, the leaders here in Utah that you engage with are embracing that uh, concept and, and are hearing what you're saying and implementing real change in Utah to help uh, everybody here? We have great leaders in our state and they're doing great things. Just like myself, everybody's still learning on how to do this properly. We have people that are focused on it at some of the highest levels in our state, from our governor on down, that are trying to figure out ways to create more accessible and inclusive environments to our education systems. And it's just, um, it's, it's something brand new for a lot of people also to realize the impact that they have on each of these intersections that are coming into our education system and how we can actually steer to the positive if we do the right things. But we do have to educate ourselves first before we try to educate others on how this these patterns or pathways can be created. And sometimes that's a scary thing to do. I mean, when you're telling really smart people that you don't know about a different a certain subject, they can get a little apprehensive. And we all do, we all do, it's, it's human nature. But we need to know that it's, it's gonna be scary, but through courage and resiliency, we can step into these uncomfortable spaces and learn and actually create a better environment for everybody in our community. Well, you're having the, uh, the hard conversations, it sounds like, with Utah's leaders. Uh, what's harder, having hard conversations with like the governor's office or with, uh, with your wife at home? Uh, it's harder with my wife because <laughs> she's always right. <laughs> I'm, I've never met her, but, you know, uh, I'll side with her. <laughs> I'm going to stay safe with that one. You know, everybody's been really receptive. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that as a society, as a state, um, as a country, we have not been able to move forward based on the conversation that I'm having with people. Everyone seems willing it's getting down to the action items that really count. We've got a lot of items on the agendas, you know, whoever's agenda it may be, but we've got to get to the action items through that agenda and actually make things happen. And that's where we start to see the little bit of slowdown because when I talk about resiliency, that's, that's having the willingness and courage to step out there, put yourself out there as a leader and say, I'm going to drive this. I don't care what I'm hearing in the background. I don't care what people are saying to me in, in text or Twitter or whatever. I'm going to help drive this. And understand that, you know, it's just, it's like everything we learned when we were little kids, you know. It may be scary, but it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you in the long run because you would be amazed at how many people jump on that bandwagon with you if you can step out and be courageous. And that's what I ask people to do all the time. Be that, be that one because then you're gonna create an environment for the next 10 to follow. And it's, it's just something we have to do as leaders. Yeah. Well, you speak like a, a proud Utahn. Uh, you've made a, a home here and you raise your family here, 
But you're not from here. You're from Southern California. Tell yeah, us, tell yeah. us how you ended up in Utah. Well, when you you know you eat Aggie ice cream and you come to the <laughs> U and you, <laughs> and you find out that red surrounds you, you just get stuck. <laughs> now it really was it really was the people when I when I graduated from the University of Utah, the company I was working for part time offered me a, job, a full-time job, and I worked for that company for the past 37 years. Um, I did not expect that type of embrace. You know, I, I watched the people around me. I was a student athlete. I watched the people around me graduate, and a lot of them floundered at first, trying to find their way. And for me, I was so fortunate to have those people in my life that grabbed hold of me and said, hey, you can do this. And, and the one thing that really drove them to be willing to give me these opportunities was my education. The fact that I did go through that athlete, student athlete process and graduated. And I, I just beg student athletes, get your degree. You've got a great opportunity. You're, they're paying for your schooling. Get your degree, no matter what it takes. Even if you have to go back after you're finished playing whatever sport you play, it's important. And you, they will find that there are those out there that are watching them. We're always being watched. Each and every one of us are always being watched. But each and every one of us have to be prepared for when those opportunities come. And for me, part of it was you know, going through this um, kind of a uh, nurturing through from the community and understanding that people actually did care about me and wanted to give me an opportunity. So I s decided to stick around and uh, see what it was like. And as they say, I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine a young Sean Newell that came to the University of Utah to play defensive tackle, right? Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. Played well, a lot of positions on the line, but yeah, yeah. mostly defensive tackle. What was your uh, disposition like then? Were you one of those uh, head-butting the other players, getting riled up before a game in the locker room, or was it the calm and cool Sean that uh, <laughs> you know led the team with uh, common sense and a calm demeanor and, and then ferocity once he got out on the football field? You know, we all have to have that switch. But I never got all fired up before games. And, and it drove some of my teammates crazy because they were like, are you ready? Are you excited? And it's, <laughs> that's the same way that I lead now. I don't, I don't have to be the loudest voice in the room. I, I just I take things in. I evaluate them. And then from there, and I, I can have greater execution in the end. And it just drove some of my teammates crazy, especially linebackers, because they're, you know, they're crazy. They're snotting, slobbering, everything else, and <laughs> screaming. And, and I'm going like, well, dude, what is wrong with you? You're wasting all that energy here. We got energy to do out there. But once, you know, and being a student athlete for, you know, from the time I was eight years old, you know, all the way to my short stint in the NFL, I knew I had that switch. I knew when to turn it on. You know, once I got in my stance, I was a whole different person. I would actually create scenarios, scenarios in my head to bring about anger. And I would just, you know, picture things like somebody kissing my girlfriend or things like that <laughs> that would just get you fired up. And it would be that guy across the line for me. And, and then you do what you got to do. Then you come back to reality for a half a second and then you do it again. So, you know, I've always had that kind of imagination that would help me do that. Was there a team you played against in your collegiate career that just dirty players? No, no. There's, there's dirty players everywhere, but, I mean, if, as long as they do it within the confines of the rules, you just have to say, oh, you got me. I had great respect for one team 
in particular, and that was uh, Air Force. The I could not stand playing Air Force because those guys were so disciplined. They were not the biggest team. They were not the strongest team, but they made very few mistakes. And if you made a mistake, you paid for it playing those guys. I watched a video of me playing them um, about a week ago, and I was like, this is why I don't like those guys. I mean, they just, they execute. And, you know, as a student athlete, I wasn't, you know, bright enough to really admire that at the time. I was just like, can't stand those dudes because <laughs> they didn't make mistakes. And the rest, of, for me, I just thought, I'm a guy, I make mistakes all the time. How come I can't get myself to the point where these guys are, where you make very few mistakes and you execute in the way they do? So that would be the only, I, I admired them. I don't have any team that I, or, or players, anybody I disliked and, I mean, I played against, you know, even the guys at the school down south. I got along great with quite a few of them. It's still due to this day. And we had no animosity. The fans had the animosity. We didn't have the animosity. Yeah. Yeah. You speak like a smooth politician, Sean. A part-time. <laughs> <laughs> so was it industrial supply that offered you that? You spoke about uh, getting a job offer right out of college here after your stint in the NFL. But mm -hmm. uh, was it industrial supply? Tell us about your career there. Yeah, yeah. I was actually hired by the Higher Patrol. Interesting. Well, I was. I went to. I was working in industrial supply part time. Highway patrol, like working in a car. The state highway patrol, yeah. And um, I what, was. Did, were oh, the cars bigger back then? No. <laughs> I was smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a week from going into the post academy, and I went oh, to wow. my president and told him, I said, "Hey, I'm I'm leaving. I just wanted to let you know because he was the one that hired me and asked me to stay on." And he said, well, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I was just hired by the highway patrol, and I'm going to go." you know, be a higher patrolman. And I already knew where I was going to be stationed back when they had a port of entry at Wendover. They told me I was going to be stationed there. Mm. And I had a buddy that just um, left that post and went to Canal. And he and my wife and I and his wife went out to dinner and he said, you know, let me tell you a little bit more about my post out there. He said, you've been living in a trailer. And and my wife said, you know what? She said, no, <laughs> no, that's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, you're basically by yourself, you know, out there at the port of entry. Um, and you may want to rethink this unless you can get a different location. And that was when my wife and I had a conversation about, do you really, really want to do this? Because I had gone and interviewed a number of law enforcement agencies. Mm. And then I, you know, when I told my president of the company I said uh, I'm leaving and I'm gonna do this and you know I said I'm still a little shaky on it but I've got a week before I have to um, report and he said I'll offer you more money and I'll give you some better opportunities if you're willing to go through this process and I said uh, I think I'm gonna have to take it because my wife has already told me that uh, <laughs> this is not gonna work <laughs> 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 so it was a little that's a little side to industrial supply but I worked a number of positions there um, started in the warehouse sweeping floors cleaning cleaning the bathrooms uh, cleaning the warehouses and moved up then to customer service at our will call then into sales and then ended up in management so my last position was the vice president of business development I had been a VP of sales prior to that and um, a regional sales manager prior to that so industrial supply, they do a lot of uh, a personal protective equipment sales. Mm -hmm. and uh, The best at it. The best at it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you engage with a lot of Utah companies. Like, what have you noticed in the evolution of safety, you know, from when you started there uh, 30 plus years ago to now? Uh, do you see uh, companies taking the safety of their employees more serious? And and uh, do you have any responsibility for that if, if, if there has been an improvement? There was, I, I started in the mid 80s. And it was a lot different than it is now. People cared about safety then, but the oversight and the regulations were were such that sometimes people would kind of skirt by them. And I've seen the evolution over time where safety became important, not just for the large manufacturers, but for even small businesses, knowing that safety was important. I mean, you can go into almost any small business now and see a defibrillator. The grocery store, you can see a defibrillator. This is That's a sign that people are starting to get it, how important these things are. And then the training that's available. You know, one of the things in the past is companies kind of had to depend on their safety managers and um, others to do training for them. But now the manufacturers are so willing to come in and bring that expertise into your business. And they do it at no charge. So it's a way for you to really get upskilled in the, in the area of safety without having to make a huge investment other than the time for your employees to attend some of these trainings. And there's some other intricate training, more intricate training that does cost a little bit, but I've seen the training make a world of difference. I've seen the requirement to be trained make a big difference. And I've seen the willingness for people to understand the importance of safety and being willing to go to these types of trainings and learn, um, really increasing over the years. Why'd you retire? Sean, you're, you're still a young man, a lot to offer. Man, I'm not, I retired from one job, but I got eight other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us yeah. what you're doing now. You know, you're here as our guest speaking, uh, you know, to our membership base, but uh, you're staying busy is what I'm really trying yeah. to get at. Yeah, staying busy. I, you know, I've, a few exciting things is I'm a city councilman now for the city of Cottonwood Heights, which was something I, I had thought about for many years, but... Um, I was so fortunate that the people entrusted me with this opportunity. So I, this is the first year of my term. I've got a four-year term. I'm excited to continue to grow there with my um, with the fellow residents. The Board of Higher Education, I'm doing a lot of work with our judicial system. I actually sit on the state bar as a non-lawyer participant. Mm -hmm. And through that, I've gotten other opportunities. I was just uh, appointed by the governor to serve on the appellate court's nomination commission. So we just appointed the last two Supreme Court justices, which put us in a position where now we have three of the five Supreme Court justices here in the state of Utah are women. I also serve now backfilling their positions. And we just uh, went through about 26 applicants for the appellate court's um, position that has opened up. So those types of things are things that I've been interested in, and now I can do them since I retired. I don't have those constraints of, you know, thinking about, you know, I have to go to work. I got to do something that they told me to do today. (laughs) (laughs) I can do what I want to do, even though it's really busy. um, It's really rewarding to be able to be in spaces and impact spaces where I've always looked at and wanted to be a part of. 
but really haven't had the time. Another big one for me is the road home. I serve on the executive mm-hmm. committee for the road home as well. And, you know, most people don't know. They see a few homeless people here in Utah, but Utah has one of the highest populations of homeless people in our country. And it's because we offer so many different services here in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. And it's just just so heart-wrenching to see the situations that so many people live in. And there's a number of different issues in how people end up there, but most of us are just a hop, skip, and jump away from being in that same state yeah. and, and being in that same predicament. Um, so it's really, it's really, you know, for me, fulfilling to be able to be a part of that group and, and help them in making decisions and bringing people together to be able to create environments to make a better world for others. Yeah. With all this great work you've done for Utah, is there one or two things you're most proud of and, and what are you looking forward to the most as you continue to uh, you know, make life better for all of us Utahns? Well, I'm most, most proud of my kids. My kids have turned out good, you know, aside from their father, they turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> and getting ready to have my seventh grandchild. So, you know, that's, that's been something that's real rewarding. But I think for the, the biggest thing, um, aside from my family, is the opportunity to get into spaces where a lot of people that don't look like me are not present. And to be able to have people meet me and overcome those apprehensions about meeting people from different cultures and diversities and races and things and understanding that we're all in this together and we're not that different. You know, I may like different foods. I like to, to smoke and, you know, smoke meat, not and barbecue and grill. Let's get this straight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we find that a lot of times if we can utilize food and opportunities to share and break bread together, we can overcome a lot of these issues that we have. I've had lunch and dinner with people I never thought I would be sitting at a table with. And when we walk away, it's a whole different type of relationship. And it is amazing to see that transformation take place right before my eyes. And I think that's really important for me to do that. And I, it puts a lot of pressure on me to represent just this small circle of influence that I have. Um, but I'm hoping that it, that expands as I continue to do the work I do. That's very cool. Well, I know our membership base, we're all excited to hear your presentation today uh, about leadership. Are there any sneak peeks that you want to disclose? Well, you know, most of the time when I when I speak about leadership, nobody wants to be talked to. They want to be talked with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to be real careful in that. I include some stories and um, make sure that I'm not just saying this is what you have to do to be a leader because then I hear the snores from the back of the room and it you know, <laughs> kind of throws me off. <laughs> but I'm just hoping to engage um, everyone with just some insights on you know some of the experiences I have, some things they may want to consider as leaders in our changing world that we have. You know, One of the things that I'll touch on is the fact that we currently have five generations of individuals Five generations, X, Y, Z, millennial, and boomers in our workforce right now. And as a leader, we have to consider that. We have to understand that we don't know everything about a lot of these generations. And there's some really smart young people coming up through the ranks Mm -hmm. that we have to be willing to relinquish some of our our closed-mindedness 
and receive what they have to offer. And it's a critical thing that a lot of times in leadership now we just don't think about. You know, we're, we're, we're caught up in the everyday thing. You know, we're doing our thing. But we also have to be so flexible now as leaders that it, it causes us some, some angst because we, we grew up in the, in the way we are, but we, it's great to be who we are, which is something I'll talk about too. We have to be who we are, but we also have to understand there's a whole big old world outside of us. Yeah, I have a comment on that, John, if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, thanks, John and Brandy, for having me here helping produce this podcast. I love it. This is what I do. So, uh, Sean, you mentioned, and I'm fascinated by this, that, you know, if you work as a professional athlete, um, but then you're humble enough to start over, I think, would you say, sweeping floors, a cleaning, essentially janitorial, and then move your way up to an executive, it takes, it takes a bit of maybe swallowing a little bit of pride to start over. Um, how, how does that relate to leadership and then how can we apply that to businesses and then actually to safety? Boy, you're going to ask the hard questions question. right, yeah. off the, right off the bat. <laughs> well, I didn't start sweeping floors after I got back from the NFL. <laughs> Let's clarify that. that. Okay. Let's okay. Clarify I got that. my timeline wrong. Man. But I did okay. start yeah. from zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did have to come back and start working in the warehouse because mm-hmm. I was I hadn't finished school yet. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that as leaders we have to be willing to do is to pivot. We don't know where well it depends on where we start. If we if we're coming into a new role and we've been a leader somewhere else before, it's a little easier to kind of acclimate to your environment. But sometimes you're put into an environment that you're completely um, just naive to it and just don't understand. We have to be willing to take a step back and humble ourselves and learn from those that we're trying to lead. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, we can strengthen our ability as a leader. We have to, we have to relinquish that, that feeling that we have to be in power and be the know-all and, and step down and have conversations. One of the things I did, and even in my position as a vice president, I would sit in the break room with our warehouse employees mm-hmm. and have lunch just to hang out and talk and hear everybody laugh and have a good old time with folks. Mm-hmm. And I do it on a fairly regular basis just because it was that connection thing. And it also allowed them to have comfort in coming to me and addressing issues mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you know, have you ever thought about this? And how come we don't do this as a company? And I could take that back to the executive team and say, hey, look, you know, this is something that I, I learned today. But we have to humble ourselves and, and be willing to go to some of these uncomfortable places so that we can strengthen ourselves as individuals so that we can bring a better self to the entity that we're serving. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Thanks. That's great. Now I'm done for the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Remind gonna, me, was it the Bears? Where, where was your NFL stint? My my NFL stint, remember now, NFL stands for not for long. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I spent my entire career injured, my first year injured, uh, with the Bears. Okay. And um, it was a great experience because they were great players there. This was the year before they went to the Super Bowl. And, and, you know, going through that whole experience, going to the playoffs, doing all that fun stuff, getting to know some of those guys, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, And I'll tell some of those stories today. And then my second year, realizing that my injuries hadn't healed, they decided not to do surgery on my injuries. And, and I had come back and done spring and, and started the summer. I just made a determination that you know, if I can't be my very best, I've, I've got to do something else. 
plus there was another surprise when I got there to training camp that um, I'll explain later on. But <laughs> I was like, hmm, I can read the writing on the wall. Cause <laughs> so let me make another decision here. So I actually ended up resigning. Uh, which kept me as an alumni of the NFL versus being waived okay. and um, came back and started working, came back and did that pivot mm-hmm. and decided, you know, I'm not, I'm not an athlete anymore. I stayed in football. I, I coached little league football. I officiated, I still officiate little league football. I have games tomorrow, four games tomorrow. Wow. Um, but I had to, I had to come to that determination that that was no longer a part of my life yeah. being a player. Well, I mean, you were there with the fridge and Walter Payton and Jim McMahon. What was that like? Yeah, there was a whole lot of folks there. It was it was one. It was it was a great experience being around great people, um, not just great players, but great people. Yeah. You, you you know, on TV we see these images of people, and we have this idea of who they are and what they're like, and so many times we're just so wrong. They're just. I mean. I played two years against Jim McMahon, mm. and then I was there with him um, in Chicago. And right after he got hurt, he got his kidney lacerated in this Dallas game. And mm. so he and I were, you know, basically rehabbing together. We were we talk about experiences and you know about each other and times things that he hated about. Utah and you know hated he hated about BYU and <laughs> but it gave me an opportunity to really get to know him I got to know Walter Payton really well I got to know all these guys that are icons now in the sport but also just as icons as people yeah and that was to me one of the biggest eye-openers for me you know being being a kid you're always in awe like you know because you always want to get to that that top level but you can't show that when you're in the locker room and you know <laughs> Everybody's butt naked, so you're all the same. <laughs> so <laughs> you just, uh, you know, you just lose that. You lose that envy thing. So, yeah. but you still recognize talent and um, your your defensive line. Yeah. How much yeah. bigger is the fridge than you? Um, he weighed more than I did at the time, um, but he's shorter than me. Yeah. See, yeah. he had that on him. Yeah. He yeah. was, but. He also came in, and uh, that was my second year, and that was my position, and he was drafted, and I was a free agent. I was like, hmm, let's see. Who do you think they're going to keep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you were there with Richard Dent. He was Richard Dent's yeah. my buddy. Oh, yeah, nice. he was He was the guy that really helped me out. I got a story about it. I can tell you that story, but I might not tell that today. I was going out with Richard one night, Richard and Steve McMichaels, and I can't remember who else was with us. And uh, I got dressed up, and I had on some shoes. And my shoes were jacked up. They were just <laughs> horrible. Richard said, you can't come out with me with those shoes on. <laughs> He's like, I need, you need to do something about that. I was like, dude, you know, I don't make the money you get, and, you know, I don't know where to get shoes because I wear a size 15. He says, I wear 15 too. So he got me connected to a guy that makes shoes. I think I told you to this story. Yeah, that makes shoes for a lot number of athletes, NBA, NFL, everybody else. And he's got a little store. I can't remember where it is. But I talked to him on the phone and ordered a couple pair of shoes, tan pair of shoes, and a black pair of shoes, because that's what Richard told me to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got the shoes back, and they were two of the nicest pairs of shoes I 
I didn't like paying for them, mm-hmm. but they were two nice pairs of shoes. And, you know, after that, I knew that he had my back. Um, and he helped me with some other things, you know, career-wise, you know, just giving me advice and things other than uh, just shoes. But going through that experience taught me an awful lot about you never know who's watching out for you, and you want to really count on those who are going to be honest with you. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, back then I was a single guy. I could see myself standing next to him competing for some, you know, hot chick, and she'd look at her shoes. <laughs> she'd have been like, nah. <laughs> is, that, is that true, Brandy? You go straight for the shoes? Uh, among other things, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My shoes were raggedy. <laughs> <laughs> they, you would notice them for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, you would notice. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, Brian, what are we forgetting to ask Mr. Newell here? I mean, gosh, I've just been quiet because I'm just loving listening to you talk. I think, um, you know, getting to know you, I've never told you this before, but prior to, we talked about last time with some other staff members that you knew years and years ago. And she had met you and I had never met you and just lovingly, I guess, in the office, we referred to you with me without ever knowing you as safety Sean. So you've always been safety Sean to me until, you know, I met you and, and golfed with you and that was awesome. But, you know, I just, I don't have any questions for it. I just want to continue to learn from you. I think, you know, listening to you and, um, it's so interesting and you just do so much for Utah. So I'll tell, I'll, I'll just say to you, keep doing you because Utah needs more of you. So Thank you. I'm going to yeah. tell my wife, my name is Safety Sean. Safety Sean. <laughs> safety Sean, yeah. When my grandkids say, I don't want to do that, I'll be like, I'm Safety Sean. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. It's my reputation. Yes. <laughs> well, you caught our attention at the uh, at the University of Utah's commencement exercises here, and, and you certainly draw a lot of respect and just your demeanor is that of a leader and, you know, chatting with Brandy about who should we invite to come speak. And we all decided unanimously, like, we need more Sean in our lives, you know, more, more safety Sean and Utah safety <laughs> council. So yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. you. This would be a great experience for me. And, you know, it's still something I, I, I'm really passionate about. I'm really passionate about sports safety now because <laughs> yeah. sure. I work with these young, young people on the football field all the time. Yeah. But it was a big part of my life. Safety was a huge part of my life at at Industrial Supply, and um, it's, you know, they're still carrying the torch and and doing the right things, and it's something that impacts each and every one of us. We just have to realize in which ways. Very good. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. I feel like we should just keep going, but we got to go do some business. we got to wrap. I did my whole spill. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just play this for everybody downstairs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, on episode two, we'll go deep on the uh, sports safety because, man, that's a wormhole. That's it that's is. pretty serious, yeah. too. But we'll have to hold off on that for now. I know, and I do want to go do a deep dive on my Ditka. I feel like that guy just eats brats and mustard all day. And <laughs> He's another one that's that's different. You know, I, only, I, <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, in a good way. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good. I had that's a couple good. of chances to speak with him one-on-one, so... It was it was interesting. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully during when we're downstairs, I can take a little bit of the time I have to do a little Q and A. And of course, I think people yeah. like that. But we have planned. So. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I know people like that. So <laughs> by the time you're done today, you'll be uh, you'll be so sick of the Utah Safety Council. <laughs> uh, never, <laughs> never. Never. Very. I hope I'm not. part of the family now. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> 
you know, I adopt everybody, so it's you guys are in trouble. <laughs> hey. I think last time we had lunch with him, we invited ourselves over for dinner yeah, at some gonna, point. So yeah, yeah. we'll be over later. We'll try to make yeah. that happen. As an adoptee, <laughs> I love smoked meat. So <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'm still practicing, but I got some, I got some good stuff. Yeah, me. good. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been Speaking Up for Safety, the Utah Safety Council's uh, podcast sponsored by the Utah Labor Commission. Uh, how's that for a closing? It's something. It's a start. It's a start. Yeah. We'll work it out. Yeah. yeah join us on the next episode. It'll oh, yeah. Nice. Join yeah. us on the next episode, <laughs> whenever that is. But we're going to be doing this thing a lot. Yeah. We're figuring it out, but we're having fun. And, and the nice thing is we're meeting uh, great people like Sean Newell and we'll continue to tell safety stories and, and introduce Utah to the greatest minds the state can offer. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great being here. Bam.